tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Oh, I probably shouldn't say this, but the voice in my head is Italian, at least half. <laughs> and the question of greeting is, what did you have for dinner last night? I, I, mean, don't, I don't know anything more important than that question. Well, yeah, I mean, it's such an Italian question. And believe me, he's he's rather slim, rather tall, but, uh, you know, I, I always think of German food as mostly ballast, but... <laughs> I love it. But ah, what am I talking about? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us, please. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. And kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world. Seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, um, the the Lord may have established the church in the Holy Land, but very soon they moved the head offices to Italy because that's where the restaurants are. So the uh, you know the it's it's, it's well, Bart, it's funny because it's true. It's uh, it's not it's impossible. No, it's no longer. This way, but when I was first going to the Holy Land, it was impossible that to get a good meal in the Holy Land, and impossible to get a bad meal in Italy. So they say, you know, on the road, eat where truck drivers eat. Nah, eat where priests and lawyers eat. That's those are the good. I'm I'm getting way off the topic, and I haven't even started. So let's open the big book on the coffee table. All right. Okay, where did I put it? Where did I put? It? Okay. These are long readings, but that won't stop us. Let's go to the gospel reading first. Mark, the fourth chapter, the first verse, and the 20th. Um, this is the parable of the sower and the seed, and this is the, the version in Mark. They're different, you know, different, slightly different wordings of this, but it's essentially the same story. The part of this that bothers everyone is in the middle. When he was alone, those present along with the twelve. In other words, the inner circle of disciples was larger than just the twelve, but but it was much smaller than the, the wide group of people that Jesus talked to. When he was alone, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered them, the, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. And this is the hard word, so that it's hina in Greek, which means it has the idea of purpose. 
So the, the purpose is that they look and, and see but not perceive. I don't think that's what's being said here. I think I would take that so that rather as a because. I'm, I'm really stretching it here. The, the, the Greek word does mean so that. But I'm wondering, you know, I, 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 I don't really have any Aramaic. I mean, it's close to Hebrew. My Hebrew is lousy, but, but it's good enough so that I can compare it to Aramaic. But I don't know about this. Maybe someone, um, I'll, I'll, I'll have to do some, some work on this. I, I wonder if in Aramaic, which, of course, Jesus was speaking, it isn't a word that means because. So because they may look but not perceive. They may hear and listen but not understand, or that they may be converted and forgiven. Uh, that that Jesus spoke in parables, not, I don't think that, that it's possible that Jesus spoke in parables in order to hide the truth from people. He was speaking to simple people, and so he used stories, especially funny stories, that would bring them in and, and uh, make them think. The very very agrarian, the voice in my head just said, yeah, these were farmers. Interesting. The mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, oh, dear, he's going to talk. Yes, I'm going to talk about the kingdom again. I believe the word kingdom of God, the phrase kingdom of God, means God's royal nature. Basileus is a king and Basilea is the nature of a king. So you want to get to know what God is like? Look at a Jewish carpenter who was born in a barn and died under arrest. That's what we believe God is like. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. God's nature is made manifest in the person of Christ. So when you read the, Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near, he's saying it's right here. Look at me. The mystery. The word mystery means secret. It's a thing whispered. So the secrets of, the, of God's royal nature are granted to you. That that they're they're hearing the unvarnished truth. Whereas if he said this to to the multitude, he, they wouldn't have been able to grasp it. So I, this this always bothers people. It sounds like Jesus is is trying to hide the truth. But what he's really doing is he's he's reminding them of the scriptures. He's quoting the scriptures. Uh, we read. Let me let me find this here. Where did I put it? Okay. Um, let me back up one thing. He's quoting Isaiah, uh, um, Isaiah 6, 9. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing and never perceiving. And Jeremiah says something very similar uh, in Jeremiah five twenty one. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, of eyes uh, but do not see, and who have ears but do not hear. Jesus is saying, remember, so because these are people who, Seeing, they don't see, uh, and hearing, they don't hear. Uh, but you can't get off the hook. So I, I think that that's uh, the way to read this passage. Jesus did not want to hide the truth from people. He told simple stories that they might hear the truth. He's referring to this reality that the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah talked about and reminding the disciples. That's why I talked to them in parables, because Isaiah and Jeremiah both said they're, they're, they don't understand Okay, now let us go back. I need to click on that, and uh, um, let me see. Is there anything else I want to talk about? Nah, that's good enough. Let's go to the first reading again because it continues our story about about David and Saul, and and of course we've jumped ahead a bunch of chapters. 
And and uh, David has finally brought the ark into Jerusalem. He was chastened by the death of Uzzah, and and uh, you know he realizes that uh, he's not a priest, and uh, God has prospered. Uh, Obed-Edom, and it's safe to bring the ark into Jerusalem. Remember, my theory is that, G, that David wanted originally wanted to bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem to use it as a political rallying point, and this was the same exact stupid thing that the sons of Eli had done, and uh, uh, God warned him, don't do this, and he obeyed. Now we have uh, the idea of the temple. Now, understand that we dealt with this a little earlier on, that the so-called first temple, the Temple of Solomon, wasn't the first temple. It was the second temple. There was a temple built in Shiloh, which was in the, I believe, in the territory of the tribe of Ephraim. It was further north. And the there was a structure built to house the tent of meeting. It seems that the tent of meeting was still used but there was a, a, a structure built around around it, not covering it, but a structure built uh, where this could be put. So the the uh, the first temple, and that was for four, almost for 400 years. So the first temple was the temple at Shiloh. The second temple was the temple of Solomon. The third temple was the temple of the Maccabees. And the fourth was its reconstruction under uh uh, Herod the Great at the time of Christ. So uh, people talk about the first and second temple. There have really been four temples, but we won't be picky about this. So David's going to build a temple, and in comes the prophet Nathan, who says, good, God's going to bless you. You can build a temple. And then God says to Nathan, uh, "Don't, not so fast. You didn't hear me right. Tell my servant David he's not going to build me a house. And the reason we read elsewhere in the scriptures is because he was a man of blood. He was judged as unworthy to build a temple for the Lord. And now we get into the issue of David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, This is an important thing. Um, David could hear something from God and say, okay, now let's go back to the gospel reading. Hearing they don't hear and seeing they don't perceive why is that? Because God says something and we don't agree with it, so it must not be God. That's how David was a man after God's own heart. He was able to hear God. When a prophet spoke to him, he said, all right, if that's what God wants. Uh, you know, this is a huge thing that David is a man after God's own heart. The scripture says it a number of times. And when you look at the career of David, as we have looked at the career of David you know, he's on his way to kill Nabal because Nabal has not given paid protection and Nabal has a heart attack. So David takes Abigail, his wife, into into David's harem and uh, he's running a protection business. He's, he's gathered about 400 questionable characters around him and uh, he's, he's kind of tough. So... Uh, uh, He's not the kind of guy you want to bring home to mom if you're a young lady. So how can he be a man after God's own heart? Then, of course, there's that disreputable business with Bathsheba. We'll deal with that later in the story. But uh, um, how can he be a man after God's own heart? 
he was able to repent. That's that's how he's a man after God's own heart. You know, that 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 when a prophet comes in and gives him bad news, he doesn't say, take this prophet out and have him shot. He says, oh, if this is what God wants, he was docile to the will of God. And Jesus, when we when we think about Jesus, Jesus was absolutely docile to his father's will. Hence, he was counted as, as David was counted as a man after God's own heart. And, you know, that's why I don't hear God, because I don't want to hear God. There's a wonderful story about, uh, in the book of Judges, about uh, um, Gideon. The Pentecostals use this all the time. They're talking about putting a fleece before the Lord. There's a story of uh, uh, Gideon, and uh, he's, practically speaking, an atheist. And, and uh, an angel appears to him and says, Hail, almighty man of God. He's hiding out in a wine press, trying to thresh out some grain secretly so that, that, so that the people who had invaded Israel didn't come and steal it. So he's an absolute coward. And uh, hail, almighty man of God. And the angel's talking about the great things that God wants to do. He says, yeah, God, yeah, where's, what's he done for us lately? So he's practically speaking an atheist. Well, he has the vision. He's convinced about it. And the Lord says, I want you to, to gather an army and defeat the enemies of Israel. And he says, I'm going to need a sign. So he puts out a fleece. And he says, let the, you know, a lamb skin, the skin of a, a lamb. And he says, let the, one night he said, let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. And he wakes up in the morning. Sure enough, the ground is soggy with dew. The fleece is dry. There's his sign. And then he says, how about one more sign? Let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry. And so, sure enough, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry. And um, uh, he says, well, let's, let's talk about if God says enough is enough, do it. So this idea of, of putting a fleece before God, I don't want to hear God. God might tell me something I don't want. He might tell me I have to do something that I'd rather not do. So this idea of putting a fleece before God, it's a, it's a dangerous idea. David was a man after God's own heart because he, he could, he, he, and I'm not saying he had the ability to hear God. That's, he, w- he was able to hear when God spoke through a prophet or through scripture or, or in the many ways that God speaks. David was able to hear it. So I'm not. I'm always saying, oh, Lord, this is what your will is. I know it because it's what I want. You're never going to hear God clearly as long as there's something that you want more than the will of God. Uh, That's why I think God puts us in such difficult situations sometimes, so that, in a sense, so that we give up and we say, I don't don't care. Lord, speak. Your servant wants to listen. God will get us into that situation where all we want is to hear from God. But it's amazing that some of us, like me, are amazingly resistant to the speaking of God. Uh, Let me look, just see if there's anything else I want to comment on in this place. Okay. This is a kind of turnaround. David says, I want to build a house for God. And God says, no, I'm going to build a house for you. And very interestingly enough, uh, there was uh, uh, there were revisionist archaeologists in Israel who said probably there was no David. It's all just mythology, and 
Well, then they found a, uh, the David Stelly, uh, which, which talked about the house of David, uh, not too long after the life of King David. So it was very clear that there was a house of David. This was David's royal house. God was going to build a house for him. He didn't have to build a house for God. So uh, it's, it's an interesting kind of turnaround. Let me see if there's anything else I want to. Uh, all right. Nope. I think that's. I think that's. Uh, that's enough. We can go to a break, and we'll come back with letters. And the phones are open at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight eight eight. Nine one four nine one four nine. Today, we'd like to thank Vincent, who's listening in California, for donating his 1971 Chevy El Camino. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Father Simon says, Inconceivable! On Relevant Radio. Raindrops have fallen on my head. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed, nothing seems to fit. (laughs) We're discussing the height of my my voice in my head just before we came on. Maybe that song is about this. It hits me first. Yes, yes, really. I I don't fit well in planes, but it's not because I'm tall. Now let's move along here. Let's go to letters. Okay, I have letters. I picked out some letters. Now, did I pick out this one? Let's see. Come on. Open, open. Okay, okay. Oh, good grief. Good grief. This is, uh, I'll have to do that one later because I got to look it up. This is, um, I, I this one I looked at. Oh, um, this is a question about St. Maximilian Kolbe. I have heard you emphasize that the church has rules about the components of the bread that is consecrated at Mass, that it becomes invalid matter if there's anything added to it beside wheat. I've read that when Maximilian Kolbe was sentenced to death, that he hid some bread in his clothes so he consecrated it for himself and the other prisoners. This bread certainly had additives. Was this an exception to the rules? Why would you think that bread certainly had additives? It was Germany. Germans are they're into bread, and so are Poles. Now, the, the, I'm sure that Saint Maximilian did his. He knew the rules, and I don't think he would have tried to consecrate rye bread or barley bread. But good bread from Europe or any bread from Europe, it's it's doesn't have additives. Uh, so, and also, I think one of the questions might have been. Uh, was it leavened? And leavened bread is valid matter for the Eucharist if it's pure wheat. Uh, well, there's yeast in it. Well, no, there's not yeast in it. There's the bubbles that yeast leaves. The yeast is quite gone. Uh, the, the, the yeast is, is, uh, uh, just creates bubbles and, and raises the bread. Uh, it, it doesn't add anything to the bread itself. So uh, at least that is as I have been taught. In fact, is in the Eastern Church they use only leavened, uh, leavened bread, and we use only unleavened bread. But either is valid, though one should follow the rules of one's particular 
religious rite, the Eastern rites of the of the of the of the Catholic Church use leavened bread, as do the 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 Orthodox. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, it kind of struck me. So all right, let me go there. Okay, this is uh, something in regard. This is from uh, is it anonymous? Yeah, it's anonymous. In regards to mommy, they're reading our Bible comment during the beginning of your show on Tuesday. I, for those who weren't listening, I remember the family of a young woman who had converted to the Catholic faith, and her family were in an evangelical church that knew nothing about the Catholic faith. Uh, <clears throat> came to see what strange cult she joined, and the, uh, the her little sister was quite shocked because when we had the readings, we were of course reading the Bible, and it was kind of funny because. This little girl said, Mommy, they're reading our Bible. And I so wanted to tell this little girl when I heard it, Kid, that's our Bible. We loaned it to you. We want it back. But I digress. So in regards to Mommy, they're reading our Bible comment during the beginning of your show on Tuesday, 123-24. I hope you and your listeners enjoy this. I'm in my mid-50s. I'm a cradle Catholic, except for a short time that I attended a non-denominational church while I was in college. My parents still don't know this. Shh, don't tell them. I've always been amused at how many evangelicals that I have met are so surprised that Catholics know anything at all about the Bible. One person was amazed that I knew the difference between the Old and the New Testament. I even once had a coworker ask me if we Catholics celebrated Christmas. Hmm. Boy, do we. Uh, the, uh, uh, I, I've had a similar experience with, with uh, Jews who come to, uh, especially observant Jews, uh, uh, who, who come to... Uh, a Catholic Mass. Now, Orthodox will not attend. Uh, they, most of the Orthodox I've known hesitate even to walk into a Catholic church lest they see an idol. They look at our religious art as idolatry, but I don't. Moving along. They are astonished that we're reading the Hebrew Scriptures, that we're reading Torah and, and the prophets. Uh, you see, we, we really, that, that people don't know us very well, and I think we we need to to let them know us and, and realize that uh, sometimes we're the only Bible that people will ever read. We need to be, as I always say, the tastiest worms on the, uh, 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 on the hook. Now, this is one from, uh, is it anonymous? No, this is from Jeff. Uh, Dear Father Simon, I've been sharing the gospel at Arizona State University with a Protestant friend. One girl I didn't. One girl didn't accept the scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.9. I think you mean 6.9. Uh, and claimed that, that, that it was referring to people with no backbone versus homosexuals, the effeminate being cross-dressers. How would you respond to her interpretation? Well, if, if it's 1 Corinthians 6.9, that is clearly uh, people who, men, the word is arsenokoite. Which means people who have men who have relationships, intimate relationships with men. And uh, uh, the word malakoi, uh, one of the words means, it does mean, it literally means the soft. Uh, um, that, that uh, no, it's, 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 it means the effeminate. Uh, in other words, people who. Well, the effeminate. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. It doesn't simply mean someone who is gentle. It means someone who imitates 
Well, what we would call cross-dressers, that's true. But then it goes on to talk about our Senekoitai, people who have uh, intimacies with uh, the same gender. So I don't know where that person learned their Greek, but uh, they, they, they seem to have it mistaken. All right, let me go back to the letters. I hope I'm getting your question right. That 1 Corinthians 6, 9 it refers to people with no backbone versus homosexual and effeminate. No, it's, it's really clear. The Malakoi means effeminate and, and Arsenakotoi means people, men who have relations uh, with men. So ask that person, oh, I didn't know you took Greek. <laughs> of course they didn't. All right, moving along here. Let's see here. All right, all right, hold on. All right. This is, <laughs> this is an interesting question. This is David from Maine. What's the difference between an atheist and a narcissist? Not much. <laughs> kidding, kidding. An atheist is someone who is of the conviction that God does not exist. There is no God, which is an impossible position. God exists by definition. God is defined as that greater than which nothing exists. If the universe is somehow self-creating and self-maintaining, the universe is God. It may not be conscious. It may just be this collection of stuff. Atheism is a really hard position to defend because how can an intelligent thing not be created by an intelligent being? I think this is kind of, you know, the fact that intelligence exists to me is, is evidence of an intelligent creator. And if that creator is the universe, then some of the universe itself is, 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 is God. So God exists by definition. The question isn't, does God exist? God is that reality greater than which nothing exists. And uh, um, the question is, what is the nature of God? That's what Christians talk about. You want to get to know Jesus, as I said, or you want to get to know God, as I said earlier, get to know Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and that means that uh, uh, you want to get to know what the creative universe is like? Look at a Jewish carpenter who as I said, was born in a barn and died under arrest. Now, what is a narcissist? This comes from the story of Narcissus, who was this wildly handsome, gorgeous person from, from uh, a Greek mythology who had never seen his own image. And he, there was a perfectly still pond, and he looked over into the perfectly still pond and saw the reflection of his image and fell in love with himself and fell into the pond and drowned that's the story of Narcissus. And so a narcissist is someone who thinks he's so gorgeous that, well, <laughs> he's going to fall into his own image and, and drown. So uh, that's the difference. But why did I say there's not much difference between an atheist and a narcissist? Well, Cardinal uh, George quoted someone who's, I think it was a quote from someone. He said, when you create your own religion, which atheists do, uh, a religion that lacks God, uh, when you create your own religion, you pretty much find out pretty soon that you're worshiping yourself. So that, that, that uh, atheism is, is a narcissism kind of both say I'm the most important reality in the world. So I don't know if that helps, but David from Maine, that's, those are my thoughts on your, on your question. Okay, this is another 
lines. Oh, oh, by the way, there are lots of lines open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I've got another little question here. David from Lexington, Kentucky. Another David. If you are trying to live a religious life, whether Protestant or Catholic, is it better to live by the prosperity gospel or the gospel of poverty? <laughs> That's... I suppose if I had to pick, I'd have to pick the gospel of poverty. But I would say neither neither is 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 uh, you know we Catholics are big on poverty, chastity, and obedience for religious for the religious life, but most Catholics don't have that. What Saint Paul says is I'm going to try and find it. There should be a certain equality. Uh, um, let me pull this up here. Okay, I'm going to get it. The Catechism, what's the Catechism say about it? The Catechism has a section on the Evangelical Councils. And okay. It says that Christ proposes the councils to every disciple. Um, but I think it's just to the degree to which people are called to live mm-hmm. them. Yeah. We read in Second Corinthians 8, chapter, the 13th verse, uh, when St. Paul's taken up a collection, which they were doing in the, in the earliest days of the church, uh, he says, it is not our intention that others may be relieved while you are burdened, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your surplus will meet their need, so in turn, their surplus will meet your need. And in the letter of St. James, we read what people are going off on a business trip. So this idea of, of, of radical poverty, I remember uh, um, someone saw, a, I, I wear a ring that was the ring it was given by my father to my mother when they went steady in uh, 1928 or 29. Uh, so it's it's one of the few things I would regret losing. And she looked at this and said, you shouldn't be wearing a ring because Jesus owned nothing. Where did she get that? It's not in the Bible. I suspect Jesus owned his tools. And Jesus probably usually slept in a house. And of course... There was a a, uh, a money bag that Judas kept. You know, this idea that, that uh, all of the disciples were these poor men. Some were poor, some were not poor. Uh, the sons of Zebedee seemed to have come from a well-to-do family. So the point isn't being, oh gosh, I'm about to go off on a tangent. Um, the point isn't being rich or poor because we're all poor. Ultimately, we're all poor. We can't keep what we have accumulated. We're going to lose it someday, even if that even if that is the day we die. So um, we're all poor, but when you give your life to Christ, you give Him everything that you own, and in effect, He says, "Thank you." Uh, it's a lovely house, a lovely car, a lovely stock portfolio. Uh, uh, I'm going to need someone to take care of it until I come. He makes us the stewards of what were form, was formerly our possessions. So when God gives us possessions, they're his possessions, and our job is to care for them, to steward them in a way that gives him glory. And he does not want us to starve our children to death, but at the same time, he doesn't want us to spoil them with materialism. So it's neither the gospel of poverty or, 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 the, uh, or the prosperity gospel. We live... According to the means that God has given us, we live responsibly and we see our 
possessions as being God's possessions? So that's a good question. So thanks for asking it. Okay, we are going to go to a break. We will come back with a word of the day. And um, you can call in. I think we, well, I think we have room. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. And you can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Every time I look into the hole Another song from my hippie youth. All right, let's go to the word of the day. In today's gospel, we read that Jesus says, do not understand the parable. Then how will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. The word, the word is the thing sown. And then the, these are the people who hear and Satan comes at once and takes the word sown in them. The word In another version of this parable, it says that the devil comes in because they have a lack of understanding. It's taken away. The word here is logos. And, you know, I've shared with you a great deal what logos means. It's utterly untranslatable in English. If you go to a Greek lexicon, there are pages on possible translations from Logos. Logos can mean a court case. It can mean a line of reasoning. It can mean... Uh, uh, um, we translated the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Logos never refers to a grammatical unit, ever. It's a line of reasoning. It's the fundamental truth of something. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's calling himself the Logos. The Logos is the, the guiding principle of, of, of any matter. And Jesus is the guiding principle of existence. So that's what's being sown. What's being given you is a way of life. And I think it's fascinating because the word to, to sow is related to the word for seed. We use that word, uh, the, the, the ground has been seeded. You know, the so the cedar seeds the word, and when you think about it, a seed is something capable of growth if it's nurtured, and if it's fed properly. Um, so, I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but but this isn't just you know the sower sows the word. When we hear the word of God, we we think the Bible, and the Bible clearly is the word of God. However. The word is more than just these things written on pages. It's a whole way of life. And so Jesus is sharing a way of life. And, and you need to enter into that way of life. Well, what's the way of life? It, it's a life that involves, well, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a life that involves study and charity and above all relationship with God through the person of Jesus, our Lord. So, 
I just think it's important to realize that. We can talk about the word, you know. Well, yeah, we're talking about the word in this show. But Jesus is the word. Ultimately, Jesus is the word. Uh, Jesus is God's final statement about his own nature. All right, let's go to um, one of those things, phone calls. You know, I'd be lost without a telephone. Hey, don't go away. I want to talk to you. Martha from Maryland, what can I do for you? Okay. Good afternoon, Father. Yeah, thank you. I I have a question. Um, in our parish, we have a person going with Eucharist to the shut-ins, mm-hmm. and uh, it came. I saw it happen a couple times. And I approached this person, taking host, putting in a pix, not in the black contain uh, purse-like, mm-hmm. and keeping it overnight. Not to be done. Not to be done. Go on. Okay, well, and so she asked the priest, and he said, he gave her permission, and then I said to her, well, you know it isn't right. And she said, well, yeah. So, but last night I saw it happen again. So she hasn't stopped doing this. Well, you've done your job. You've told her, and she's spoken to the pastor, and the pastor has... uh, told her something that I think only a bishop can give you permission to reserve the Blessed Sacrament in your home. So uh, you've done your job. And, and uh, um, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to read the hand signs of the voice in my head. Who's through the glass? He says, keep going, keep going. All right, I'll keep going. Yeah, you've done your job, Martha. And, and uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. anymore you know you've done you've done the job and that priest will be answerable for it to the lord and uh, i just hope that they're treating it reverently and not just leaving the blessed sacrament in the glove box so you know i you know i have to admit when i was a young priest things were very sloppy and you'd do that and then someone said you don't do that and i said oh i won't do that you know it's very convenient and, you know, we don't have a religion of convenience. When I was a boy, you would occasionally see a, a, a procession coming down the street, basically, uh, the pastor taking the Blessed Sacrament to to uh, to uh, a person who was sick, and people would drop to their knees. Um, you know, if we appreciated what we had, and I, I, I repent of my own foolishness when I was young, so I, you know, not just to condemn this, this woman, she's been led astray by people who don't understand the tremendous sacredness and power of the of the uh, Holy Eucharist. And, you know, when you think about it, say a prayer of reparation. Say, you know, uh, uh, there are beautiful, beautiful prayers of reparation. You can look one up on the web. I hope that helps a little, Martha. God bless. Oh, and yes, it does. Thank, thank you. Thank you for your concern. Let's go to Chrissy from Chesterton, Maryland. What can I do for you, Chrissy? Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call, and I love your show, and I listen to it just about every day. Uh, My question is the following. You always say that we are asking God to do something for us, but it's confusing to me because I pray daily for the conversion of my children, Mm -hmm. for forgiveness to come to my family, and for the healing of my family. Mm -hmm. And I know that eventually it will happen but it just kind of confuses me the way you say, and I'm just wondering if I continue to ask for this daily, I am telling God to do it, not 
praying for it. So if you could help me well, understand. There is, there is persistence in prayer. Uh, you know, that God uses prayer frequently to purify our motives. You know, that, that, that what happens sometimes is in prayer. You know, for instance, uh, someone says, oh, Lord, I pray that there be no crabgrass in my lawn this year. And then a loved one gets sick, and then they're at that bedside praying, and they realize the crabgrass isn't important. What's important is the well-being and the salvation and the health of their loved one. So God uses persistent prayer to purify us. Uh, we're promised by the Lord that he will give us the, the desire of our hearts, but most of us want the desire of our minds. We don't know the desire of our hearts. And it sounds like you as a mother, this is the desire of your heart, the conversion of your family. And, you know, to quote the, the uh, bishop who said something to the mother of St. Augustine, that the child of so many tears will not be lost. So I don't know if that helps or not. Persistence in prayer is, is uh, you know, is something that, that reaches down deep into our hearts. So, you know, God, you know, uh, we pray that God will do his will. But I think certainly it's God's will that your family come to know him. So does that help a little? Yes, Father. Thank you. God bless you. And I'll be praying for you, Chrissy. God bless. Let's go to Mary from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What can I do for you, Mary? Hi, Father. Um, I have a question about today's gospel, yes. one particular passage from it, and I hope you can explain this to me. Um, so it says, um, when he's explaining to the Twelve about the parables, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. Mm -hmm. And this is the part that gets me, so that they may look and see, but not perceive, and hear and listen, but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. I don't get that. Well, and I, I, I mentioned like, that a little earlier, that, that yeah. the, the word in Greek is hina, so that, and it implies purpose. But I suspect that in this context it means because. Jesus is quoting the prophets. He's quoting, uh, uh, it could be Isaiah or Jeremiah, or both of them combined that those are texts in the Old Testament. He's reminding me that the disciples have asked him, why do you talk to them in parables? And he's saying, don't you remember what the prophet said, that this people doesn't hear? So I'm giving them folksy analogies so that they'll remember them. You, however, I'm not going to dumb it down for you. You've been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. So it isn't his purpose. He's reminding the disciples who asked him, what Isaiah and Jeremiah said, that this is a people who doesn't listen. So that's why he's doing this in just, parables. Yeah, we just don't have good translations sometimes. Well, it's not that the translation is bad. It's that we need to understand the context of it. The, 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 I would like to say that the, 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 the word hina in this, in this context can be translated because, but it really does mean so that. In, in order that they might not hear. But the important thing here is Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. And they asked him, why do you do this? And he's saying, don't you remember what Isaiah and Jeremiah said? And he quotes Isaiah and Jeremiah. Uh, it's in no way his intention to hide the kingdom of God from his hearers. Does that help a little? That, 
Okay, yeah, so that's a direct quote from the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah. It's just not mentioned here that that's a direct quote yeah, from the Old Testament. Yeah, he doesn't say, remember what Isaiah and Jeremiah said, but it is a okay. quote from Isaiah. Isaiah and Jeremiah say essentially the same thing about that. Ah, okay. So, all all right. right, there you that go. a lot. God bless, Mary. Let's go to Olga from Los Angeles. What can I do for you, Olga? Thank you, Father, for your time. I appreciate it. Um, my parents were married in the church. But they got divorced, and mm-hmm. my ma- my mother remarried through the city hall. Mm-hmm. And when she comes to church, she participates in the communion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to talk to my mom about that. How can I handle it, Father? Oh, I would take her aside just once and say, Mom, do we have a catechism reference for that? I'm asking the boys when I do a little research. I'll get you a the catechism reference. I would say, Mom, you know, it says this in the catechism that you can't do this. Have you ever considered maybe getting an annulment and 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 having your marriage validated or validated in the church? And uh, he said, you know, I love you, and I'll never talk about this again. But I I think you'd get a blessing from it. Do we have the the text yet? Not yet. But it 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 that's what I would do. I would say, Mom, you know, I love you, and wouldn't it be wonderful if you could be married to this fellow in the church? Uh, because okay. you're not supposed to be receiving Holy Communion. Um, we can't seem to find it. Okay. Oh, uh, paragraph 1457 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We'll post it in the show notes. And, and you can. she'll say, well, where does it say that? This is where it says that. Uh, you know, and you, you do it with love. Say, Mom, I'm never going to mention this again, just the once. And you do what you think is right. That's what I would and do. And that's it, right? I don't, yeah. I don't insist. I don't talk to no, her about anything no, else. No, right? no, no. You just, you do your job. I mean, this is your mother. <laughs> and she's the one who's supposed yeah. to be uh, talking to you about these things. So uh, what you need to do is just once say, Mom, I might be a real blessing for you uh, to be, to have this blessed in the Catholic Church. So that's what I would do. Does that help a little? Yes, Father. Thank All right. You. God bless. And I'll be praying for you, Olga. Let's go to Valerie from Chicago. Valerie, what can I do for you? Um, Shalom, Father. I am hoping you can help me understand St. Paul better. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm fond of a lot of saints, like, uh, but I don't really... Uh, have a fondness for St. Paul, but he's so crucial to our faith. So yeah. I wondered if you could help me. Well, it, it'd have to be more specific passages. One of the things you can do is look up, uh, before you read uh, an epistle of St. Paul, look it up, look up even on Wikipedia. You look up the context. Don't believe mm-hmm. everything you read in Wikipedia, but look up the context. Uh, it, it's... Um, uh, it's it's not easy because St. Paul was, was he reasoned in a, a very Jewish way. And so it, it's kind of hard to understand it out of its context. But uh, a wonderful, wonderful text that I will suggest to you is uh, Barclay's Daily Bible Study Guide. Uh, I think, how's that spelled? Is it B-A-R-C-L-A-Y? Uh, um, it is, uh, he was a Presbyterian, but recommended by Bishop Fulton Sheen. It's it's a wonderful his day. Mm. Yeah, B A R C L A Y. You can get the sets. They're not cheap, but you can get them used on on uh, on eBay. You can get them online. 
Oh, interesting. You can get them online. Barclays Context, that, or Barclays Commentary. Uh, when, you, when you see something in St. Paul that's obscure, look it up in this guy, Barclay, because it's very simple and very good. Uh, so that would be Sounds my good. suggestion. Thank you. All right. God bless, Valerie. Let's go to Patrick in Mobile, Alabama. What can I do for you, Patrick? Father, my son has a major role in the Democratic National Party, mm -hmm. who's the president now is saying that the number one centerpiece of the reelection is abortion from throughout the entire term of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is his role in this immoral? It's extremely difficult to uh, uh, to to to. Oh gosh, <laughs> this is this is tough. There's no way I can say if your son's role in this is immoral. If he believes that the most important thing is to ensure that you can kill a child in the womb, then yes, I would say it's immoral. He may be thinking that there are a lot of other positions that the Democrats have that that are moral, uh, and so he overlooks this one. Uh, so to judge him as immoral is is it's not possible for me. Uh, you know, there are people who say, well, this party uh, says this about abortion. This other party isn't much better. For me, it's a make or break issue. But then there are other people who would say the immorality of, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm not very political. I used to be very, very political. I'm not very political. But say the, the, they would look at the immigration issue in a way that perhaps I wouldn't look at it. And they would say, well, the, the, the conservative view of the immigration policy is immoral. So... There is no political party I know of that has a 100% perfect moral score. For me, abortion is pretty much a make-or-break thing you know, because the, the killing of an innocent life in the womb is, to me, the greatest immorality. But that's, that, that may not be part of your son's view. So I, I would say that uh, you can't—I would have to talk to him to say if his position is moral or immoral— um, uh, but as I say, for me, abortion is pretty much make or break. Um, you know, what I would do instead of condemn him for this or that, or the other thing, say, why do you think that? Why do you think abortion is good? Ask him questions. You know, that's the way Socrates did. Of course, they made Socrates drink poison, but that's what I would do. Um, again, for me... Abortion is a hill I'm willing to die on. It's, uh, I can't think of anything worse than to kill the unborn child in the mother's womb. But Drew is coming up, and he will cheer you up after that. 